and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris, here with my co-host and A to Z Sports writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to it regularly, if you like what you hear, go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe, because if you do subscribe, you won't miss the episodes when we drop them on Mondays, except lately it's been Tuesdays because we've been a little busy. That's okay. Apologies uh, to anybody looking out for them on, especially yesterday. It was rainy and dreary. Could have used a pick-me-up probably, but we missed. We, we were down in the dumps too, so uh, apologies on that. But go to YouTube. A to Z Sports on there, and you can see the video version of the podcast. Also, if uh, that is something that you want to do, at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, Twitter, Instagram, A to Z Sports.com, and Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports to find all the stuff that we write and we say and that we do. Let's get down to it, Zach. So much to talk about in this episode. Could be another long one. Um, But we'll start with this, as has been uh, customary for the last few months. Tennessee baseball wins the SEC. I'm trying to think exactly, had they already won? I think they had. They had won the SEC last time we did this because Vandy sealed it. Yeah, yeah. And so they're your, your SEC regular season champions. And the SEC awards came out this week. This was controversial among Tennessee fans because Tennessee won a bunch of the awards. In fact, they won 60% of uh, the SEC awards. Um, but the player of the year went to Sonny. How do you say this kid's name? Diacharya. However you say it. Sonny D from Auburn. Uh, that guy. And then Cruz at LSU, they win co-player of the year and Tennessee wins all the other awards. Uh, it would what drew drew beam pitcher. No, drew drew beam was uh freshman of the year. Dollander was pitcher of the year and uh, Vitello was coach of the year to the sec. And then those guys went player of the year. Lots of Tennessee fans, extremely indignant that Trey Lipscomb, did not win player of the year, had an unbelievable season at the plate. Uh, but Zach, did you see this? What were your feelings seeing Tennessee get snubbed? It should have been four for four. I, I, I usually don't make too big of a deal about awards because they're just, you know, they're strictly opinion based typically. I, I agree that Trey should have been the SEC player of the year, but I'm not, I'm not shocked that Tennessee didn't sweep it because I feel like that that was kind of by design. Like you don't want to see one school just kind of sweep everything, even if it's legitimate. So not a huge deal. I kind of kind of expected it. If I would have guessed, I, I don't I don't know. I figure maybe freshman of the year or something might have went to someone else. Uh coach of the year was was pretty obvious. I thought player of the year would be obvious, but I would have assumed that like one of the awards would go to some some other program. Yeah, I I did too at at best, it's like a political thing. Yeah, you could argue the the kids that won had stats very comparable to to Trey. Some people pointed out in some ways within SEC play specifically they were actually better 
than Trey Lipscomb. So you, I mean, you can make that argument. The one where I actually got uh, kind of, I don't want to say upset. That's probably a little too strong. But the the All SEC awards for first and second team, I mean, the whole thing should have just been Tennessee players. <laughs> if we're being tro- like totally honest, yeah, I think and, that's a bigger. I think that's a bigger deal than the player of the year because look in yeah. baseball like having the best player unless it's a pitcher having the best like offensive player the best position player does not guarantee success we've seen it in major league baseball for years i mean mike trout is not doesn't play in october he he, they, he just hasn't been in the playoffs he's best baseball player on the planet or, or one of the best in, on the planet that doesn't guarantee success it's a total team effort in baseball and that's what we saw from tennessee this year so, yeah, it feels like the whole team should pretty much be first, second team, all SEC. Legitimately, I, when when you have the talk that you had about this team at points and just with how good they were, I mean, over the weekend, what they beat, they buy those games 20-2 or something. Just, and Mississippi State fans were broken after that game. <laughs> I've So they're an interesting case study here because I've always said, if you listen to this show at, at length, um, I'm a proponent of mortgage the future to win a championship. I don't care. I want that championship. If we suck the next year, I, this is what I always say that about the Titans in the Super Bowl. If I suck the next year, I'll wipe my tears with a Super Bowl trophy. Shout out and to the Rams. It, yeah. And uh, that's they did what we should have done. Um, but with Mississippi State, they they did it. They won the national championship, and they sucked this year. <laughs> they were really, really bad. I mean, I believe worse than the SEC. They missed the SEC tournament. They missed the NCAA tournament. They are done for. Um, and yes, they. I, I used to cover Mississippi State sports at the very beginning of my time doing the coverage of, of or being in sports media. I covered Mississippi State sports, so I have a decent connection with some Mississippi State folks. They're definitely coping and being like, at least we won this national championship, <laughs> at least. <laughs> but they're also sort of like, maybe we should fire the coach that won, our, <laughs> won us that national championship. It's an interesting full, position to be in. Um, full LSU there. <laughs> yeah, I, it seriously is. It's kind of similar where they're just nose diving after having that that phenomenal I'm with run. you, though. It's totally worth it. Absolutely yes. worth it. I would like you. You can be 10 and three every year in football or you can win a national championship like Auburn in Auburn in 2010 whenever the mm-hmm. Cam Newton was there do you I mean you uh, there's no part of me that would regret it at all no. you win with Cam you probably bought Cam and then you fired Gene Chizik in two years when he's terrible because because you think you think about this then like Tennessee wins a national championship in 1998 and and gets in 2001, you're a game away from the national championship. You lose an SEC championship, or else you would have been playing in the national title. And like you were that close. But do you do we remember 2001? Like, does that come up? Like, we remember it painfully, sure. But how much different is remembering a we got super close and didn't make it compared to, you know, the season was a dumpster fire. Like you, you sort True. of, they're both painful. <laughs> they, you both in both times, you didn't win a championship. Um, yeah. I mean, for, for sustained success into the future, you'd like to have more of those. We almost made the championship seasons than the dumpster fire. seasons. Yeah. But at the end of the day is, is it that much of a difference 
because, like I said, in both both times, you didn't win another championship. If, you know? uh, if somebody asked you, okay, Tennessee wins a uh, NCAA championship or a national championship in 2023, but the next five years they don't make the NCAA tournament or they don't make a bowl game, or you can have five straight Elite Eight appearances and five straight 10-win seasons. What, what do you take? I take the national championship every time. I It would take a national championship. Like, in, if, if it was basketball, a Final Four, I'm not sacrificing that much for a Final Four. Right. But a national championship, you have the trophy in hand, you get to hang that banner, you get to remember that forever and hang your hat on that. I mean, it's sort of like this Mississippi State situation. Louisville in 2013 is kind of a case study in that. They won the national championship, but at what cost? You know, all of those players were bought and sold, like all good players are in college sports at this point. Um, but they just got caught, and they literally, the NCAA, you know, quote-unquote, took away their national championship. We all watched it happen. We all know that that was the case. But is the there program banner, got burned to the is ground. There, is there banners still up for that? Do we wonder? No, I don't think so. I think like they the NCAA, had can, to not acknowledge can it. The, can the NCAA make you take that down? I don't know. Like, That's I would a good leave question. If it was me, I if I was in charge of Louisville's athletic department, I would. I mean, if Danny White can put a national championship banner up at UCF for the 2017 season, I feel like you can kind of do whatever you want when it comes to that. It's. That's true. You really can. If we're totally on, I don't think it would really matter. And it's not like that's going to really be an NCAA infraction to be like, <laughs> here's the <laughs> banner for the championship we want. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Um, and I haven't been my, my dad's from central Kentucky. He's a, a Louisville fan um, going back. And I bring, I, I bring I, that up be, because I don't know if you saw this week that Tennessee took down like their NIT banner to put up a yeah. NCAA tournament appearance banner uh, this week. So uh, banners were kind of on my mind. There never should have been an NIT banner to begin with because no. that means you no. had a bad season. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that was ever a thing. Thankfully, we haven't had to put anything new on there in a while. But uh, I, the ba- banners are... It's kind of a controversial thing with the Predators. I'm a big Predators fan. They sort of are known for hanging a banner for anything. <laughs> That's kind of their like MO. Um, and it's not, I like that it's like a joke, but it also, can we just not, can that not be a thing that we do? Like, let's hang a banner for things that really matter. Like I would, I would rather have no banners and only hang banners when like Tennessee just won this SEC championship in basketball. Hang a banner for that. You actually won the thing. You get the trophy. You got the trophy presentation. And then let's just do that. But uh, I I don't... I also don't like being a stickler for that. College, it's just supposed to be fun and like a, a celebration for of like great college athletes. Like, I don't know. You can see it both ways. Don't don't want to be too overly serious, but also don't want to embarrass yourself. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's a I fine mean, like, line you, to walk. You, UNC basketball, if you've if you've ever been to the Dean Dome, they have banners up. They they only have like certain amount of retired jerseys, like seven or eight. But they have mm-hmm. banners up for all kinds of players. Like if you're all ACC first team, you get a banner hanging up there in the Dean Dome with your jersey number huh. on it. It's it's, it's kind of over a little bit over the top for a storied program like that. That is, I don't think I've ever seen that any anywhere else. That's interesting because the 
like you think uh, the the Ring of Honor there at Neyland Stadium is extreme. The bar to get onto that is extremely yeah. high. I mean, you have to be the best of the best in the history of UT football. Um, and we don't just give the <laughs> give those out for oh Derek Barnett won all SEC, so throw him up there. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll put him in the Though history. He, books, I mean, but, yeah, he he might be deserving of one since he broke Reggie White's uh, sack record. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, he's up there for sure. Uh, but I I actually we've talked about this the criteria for retiring a jersey. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I know it is it is up there. Um, as it, it should, should be. be. I mean, that's a yeah. yeah, especially in football. I mean, there's you need all those numbers when you're uh have a roster full of 100 players. I think it is literally something like you had to be like unanimous all SEC and all American and set a record or something. Like, it really had to be like pretty, like, the standards are high. So, I don't know. Either way, we, we sort of got sidetracked as we always do, as uh as is tradition on this show but uh point being going all the way back sec baseball <laughs> don't know how we got talking to, about the ring of honor in tennessee um tennessee should have just been the entire all sec team uh, let's be totally honest it it really is just a political thing that they just couldn't people would have been pissed off if they gave it to all tennessee Players is what it is. The rest of the SEC is a bunch of whiny chumps. And we're going to talk about other whiny chumps in the SEC a little bit later in the show with Jimbo and Saban. We didn't get to cover that last week. It happened the day after we recorded. I was very annoyed because it is a subject I love. And uh, I'm going to gonna rip into them uh, at the end of the show. That'll be the final topic that we cover. But that's that's baseball. SEC tournament is coming up. How, how are you feeling about the SEC tournament for, for the Vols? Because I've Heard some people kind of go like, we really haven't played the best teams in the league yet. Uh, the three, I believe the the three top contenders, LSU, A&M, and Arkansas, we didn't play. So how are you feeling? But I, th- no, I thought they played LSU, didn't they? Mm, no, I don't think so. Oh. If I, um, I'd have to look back at schedule, but I'm pretty sure, no. Either, I mean, tournament play, I don't really know how to feel because anything can happen. It's baseball, it's it, a, a go in a slump for a weekend and it can kill your chances a bad pitching outing i think tennessee's the best team i think they should be the favorites i don't really have an opinion on you know if i think they're gonna win or lose i think i mean you should expect to win if you're tennessee you've been the best team all year long but i I don't really have any inclination as to or any feeling as to whether tennessee's gonna do well or not do well i mean it's such a baseball such a funny sport i mean one one bad game can just ruin everything one bad inning it's it really can tumble quickly yeah i i would rationalize it this way for the folks that say that that are concerned that we haven't played those teams i would put it this way they played the same sec teams we did um some of them did play each other i guess those three teams specifically they all play in the west so they all had to play each other um at least once uh or i guess at least a full weekend um and so they played the same SEC teams that we did, and they are significantly behind Tennessee <laughs> record-wise. Uh, and I, so, did, I mean, know, it's the SEC tournament. You expect tough games. It's going to be tough. Yeah. The College World Series exactly. tournament, it's not going to be tough. I mean, it, it's, the, it's the way it was always going to be, and it's double elimination, so just one, one game is not going to bounce you out until the championship. I guess the championship's a single game, but... Uh, 
you know, or is, yeah, it is, it is. Um, if I, I always, I get confused with all the setups of with baseball just because it's different. Baseball, it is very different and kind of confusing yeah. every single year when they go through this. And and Tennessee's always. not always involved, so you're not. It's not like a <laughs> yearly thing that you're kind of locked yeah. in on. But uh, I I do know it, at least that first matchup, which is going to be either Ole Miss or Vanderbilt for Tennessee, which those are pretty tough teams who ended up just kind of blowing it um, this year. Like that's that's not gonna be easy. Right from the jump, it's not gonna be easy. That's I believe that's tomorrow at five thirty in the afternoon. Um, so I, we'll we'll see how it goes. But Tennessee, I, I you just you just have to say like you have the best players, you are the best overall team, and it's really not that close. Uh, and so you should win. But baseball is a weird game, like you said, one inning one play can throw things just through a loop. You, you know, you just have, you have a succession of bad pitches that get guys on base and then somebody hits a grand slam and you're, you're in the whole four runs. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it can unravel so quickly. Uh, so we'll see. And obviously we'll talk about that on next week's show before the NCAA tournament, which I think everybody is really thinking about. We already sort of established we're, winning the regular season in SEC baseball is more impressive just because it's such a long haul and there's so many elements that can go wrong obviously i mean you you see Vanderbilt rough season Ole Miss rough season they were like preseason favorites Texas A&M kind of out of nowhere having a phenomenal uh, end of the season there and Tennessee outlasted it all and so the tur- the tournament is one thing but the the regular season to to us a little more impressive to win. But uh, I'm interested to see how Vitello uses Ben Joyce uh, SEC tournament NCAA yeah. tournament. I mean, he's been he's such a weapon, but Vitello's been so careful with him coming off Tommy John surgery. I'm, I'm interested to see if he pushes him a little more through this to kind of win some of these games, or if he kind of takes the same approach he has been all year. I hope he does because he can just be so locked down. I, I mean, just in mm-hmm. such a head and shoulders above most other guys kind of away. So it's, it's going to be interesting because it's all, this is what it's all been building up to. A regular season is fun. Let's win some championships. That's Mm -hmm. what it's all about always. So uh, we'll talk about that next week when it happens, but then let's get to this. This is a little more of a looking towards the future kind of a topic, but uh, there is a, Another recruiting weekend like we had, uh, I don't know, what, maybe a couple months ago where there was just a massive weekend. Sometime in April, I think, yeah. Oh, so maybe it was just last month. A massive weekend when Nico Iamaliava came back into town and was kind of recruiting on Tennessee's behalf and you know doing some things like that. Um, that one was huge. And there's another one coming up. It's Memorial Day weekend and uh, tons of of top guys uh, are going to be in town for Tennessee. And it's, I I, I never know exactly how to take these because it's, it's certainly not a thing where you're expecting, Oh, like we're going to get four guys to commit, but you're working on it. So it's a big topic, but it's really a means to an end. Anytime there's a big recruiting weekend, like this, but I, I don't know. I was looking for the full set of players that are going to be here. Yeah, here, there's so many guys. <laughs> but of the five stars, 
You have uh, offensive lineman Francis Ma- Maugio. These guys got to get different names, ones that I can pronounce. Um, edge, edge rusher Chadavian Bradley, Tony Mitchell's five-star DB. Um, Lucas Simmons, Bryson Sanders, Ian Reed, Wilkin Formby, Stanton Rammel. I mean, it's just a list of guys, and that's just – there's 20 more four-stars on this list. Like, you're just talking – Tennessee gets three, four of these guys, and it can be roster changing. So big time stuff. Uh, if you have any thoughts on on the importance of this weekend, Zach. I think it's hugely important. Uh, you get all these guys together. Some of the obviously not everyone's going to end up at Tennessee. A lot of these guys have no intentions of ending up at Tennessee. They become friends on the trail and they're like, hey, you know, let's let's use an official visit and go check out Tennessee. It's a free trip for a lot of kids, and that, that's fine. Take them. I mean, that's why they NCAA allows allows them, and, and I don't blame them. I'd, I'd take all five of my official visits no matter what, even if I was super locked in just to experience something different and, and meet some different people. But I still think having all these kids on campus at one time with uh, coaches and current players, just if the vibe's right, I mean, that can make all the difference. If they feel like, hey, I, I want to be a part of this. I like the energy here. I want to play with Nico. I want to play with this guy. He wants to play with Nico. Let's let's go to Tennessee instead of going to Auburn or somewhere else. It can be a massive weekend. It can also, if the energy's off, it can go the opposite way and it can cost yeah. you some recruits. I don't think that'll be the case at all because I think the culture right now at Tennessee is incredible from top to bottom. There's so much positive energy from every single uh, athletic team there. Danny White is tweeting about it like crazy you can tell he's over the moon about the state of tennessee athletics across the board so i think there's a lot of energy there i think uh i think it'll be a very positive weekend i'm sure we'll see a couple of commitments this weekend i don't know if we'll get like a bryson sanders or francis might however that last name's pronounced i know those are two of the big targets that that tennessee are really uh in the running for and has a good shot at landing i, I don't know if those guys will commit but i think I'd be surprised if we didn't see a commitment or two this weekend. Yeah, hopefully, because you you get guys on campus. And I, when, when I was doing this still full-time, I interacted a lot with players and former players. And you talk to those guys about when they visited Tennessee, and it can truly make an impact when they're just like hanging out mm-hmm. with dudes maybe that are already commits. And they kind of go like, this is just the right, this is the right vibe. These are the dudes that I want to be around. And, and you can just get, you can get them kind of in a state of momentum and then get them to commit. Uh, of course, now you have this NIL factor kind of floating out there. And that's kind of one of the interesting elements because since the last time Tennessee had a huge recruiting weekend like this, there has been this new set of NCAA guidelines with the NIL stuff that are sort of threatening that if a, if a collective talks to players before uh, they commit or, or are signed that that could be an NCAA violation if collectives are considered donors it's like or considered boosters I, I hope that Tennessee literally doesn't consider that at all and just does what they're gonna do be absolutely shameless that's what I that's what I always say I don't care what you got to do get these guys in orange and white and and so hopefully that's not a factor but it is interesting because that the NCAA hadn't come down with those guidelines yet when that happened, and Tennessee has obviously been probably the most shameless with all of this so far with the NIL stuff of just 
not only setting these kids up with deals, but then going and talking about it publicly and sort of putting it out there, putting it out there in a way that's like, maybe this is who got this deal, but we're not actually going to say, but it probably was, you know, and, and it's all a PR move. All that is a PR move to get Tennessee on the radar, to get Tennessee talked about. And I think it's been masterful so far. I hope that they continue to do it and that it's not, you know, they don't get cautious. Uh, be greedy. Be, do everything, throw everything in the kitchen sink at these kids if you have to, because this is how you rebuild a program. You, All you have to do is look down I-75 at the University of Georgia. This is It's all that they did since Smart showed up was just go and land a helicopter in a kid's front yard and probably give him a briefcase full of money. I don't or a McDonald's bag or whatever they had to do, you know, (laughs) do that. I don't care. Whatever it is that you have to do, but just a weekend like this, you look at this set of players, you get a few of these really high profile guys. It's program changing. And Nico's going to be there to sell the program. And And that dude, hopefully it can, it can change the wins for some of these guys. I don't. I think people really don't understand just how important Nico is to this program, and he is worth. I don't care if he just ends up playing like a three-star quarterback for his four years. He's he's going to end up being worth every dime that's being spent on him, allegedly. Um, just because of the recruiting that he's doing. I mean, he is working every almost every single interview you read with a major four or five-star recruit. They mentioned Nico. Like he's on the phone with me. He's texting me. I mean, he's working these guys to come to Tennessee. I mean, he's been like a eleventh coach that can recruit for Tennessee without the restrictions. I mean, he can call guys whenever he wants to. In the middle of the night, in some cases, that we've seen some recruits talk about. As far as the NIL stuff and the guidelines, I was kind of concerned about that when that stuff kind of first came down. Like, hey, is this going to change Tennessee's approach because what they're doing is really working? I don't think it is. And for a lot of the reasons we talked about last week, because the NCAA just really can't do a lot. It's just a lot of a talk from them kind of kind of trying to change the narrative in the media right now that they don't have any control over the situation. And combine that with what Danny White said in an interview with uh, VolQuest this week, where he was asked a little bit about the NCAA investigation and some of the NIL stuff. And he said, I don't think there's a better example of an institution trying to do that, following the rules and having accountability and and doing everything the right way than the University of Tennessee. I mean, that tells me that Danny White feels like, feels, I mean, you're a lot of media outlets pretty much all but saying you've paid or your collective associated with the university has paid this recruit $8 million to commit. And people alluding to it, Chris Lowe from ESPN, trying to throw the word allegedly in there, but still talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. And you say, hey, we're following the rules. That tells me they're pretty confident in what they're doing and how they're handling this in light of a massive NCAA investigation that almost crippled the program. I think that should give Tennessee fans some confidence because Danny White, I mean, he's a professional. He's the best athletic director that Tennessee's had in the last decade. And the proof is in the results that we're already seeing just a year and a half into his tenure for him to say that, I think should give fans a lot of confidence that, Hey, this is, this is going to be okay. Tennessee's not going to slow down in the NIL game. They're they're full, full speed ahead with it. 
Yeah, he's he's perfectly set up with his his general stature among athletic administrators. I mean, he is athletic administration royalty, you yeah. know, and there there's some factors like that. And then he's been on the bleeding edge of just kind of everything in college athletics. He's you know, he he led such an emergent out of nowhere program at, at UCF where during his time there, they just blew up kind of on the national scene, specifically as a football school. Um, and, and I think he, I guess visionary is the right word. It kind of seems like he's, he is just out there kind of leading the pack with this stuff. And what you what you have to hope, you know that much. You know he is that visionary. What you have to hope is that in conjunction with that, he's wrapping everything up tight and not and you gotta think the way that they've handled this NCA investigation, which I also think has been they've done it in a really smart way, you know, where he just was kind of thrown into the fire with it and had to figure it out. Um I I think he will be smart about that. And it's one of those things you don't know what exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but do you really want to know how the sausage is made? Probably not. I, and so if well, I, I, I go ahead, something that people don't really think about with Danny white is he was at Ole Miss for four years, three or four years, five years as an associate athletic director. When Houston nut was there, when they hired Hugh freeze, he's been around some shady things that, I mean, he understands what works, what doesn't work. This isn't like his first foray into the SEC. Like, he understands this world uh, really well. He's experienced it firsthand. So, I think all that experience from that and then combining it with this new world where some of these things are legal and you can get around it more publicly, I think that experience is very beneficial to him and and has been a big reason why he's been able to kind of get ahead with this. Absolutely. I I think if you do it, right this landscape is so much more ripe for the picking for to to take advantage of because you don't have to do it in the shade of, of darkness all the time now you can do these things above board and really this this leads us into that conversation with Jimbo and and Saban but to keep it on Tennessee like Saban always has used the secrecy to his advantage because all he really had to say is, we got money like everybody else, and you're going to get to come here and, and play for a national championship. But now, all of that is above board, and these kids can see, like, this kid is making exceptional money at Tennessee. And that information doesn't have to travel through the back channels and get talked about under the table. No, Tennessee can come out in an article in The Athletic and go like, Hello, somebody. Here's what we paid this kid. Come on down, you know. And so now Saban doesn't have that full advantage over the, you know, over everything being under the table. And this is if you play your cards right, there is the this is the perfect setup for Tennessee to take advantage of. Seems like they're doing it so far. I think this is one of the big pivotal weekends to show that Tennessee is fully taking advantage of it. And to your point about Nico, I mean, yeah, if this kid assists in getting four of these guys, you know, it is a big factor in getting four other big players in, five five and four-star guys, and then two of those four 
become great players at Tennessee, become a, you know, a, a Derek Barnett, a, a Trey Smith, like on, on a level like that. And then even if he doesn't pan out as a great quarterback, he brought that value. Like that's, that's how you look at it. You go like, well, he sh- sure he was an adequate quarterback. He wasn't great, but he set this foundation for the future. And he came in and like you said, is like, he was like an 11th coach and just put the pedal to the metal trying to recruit for us. And that was massive. I mean, you're, you are already getting value from this dude and it's incredible that they found him, got him in the fold, did this work. And now <laughs> effectively they have just an additional recruiter. On the trail. That's what he is now. He's an additional recruiter for you. And I think he's more convincing because he can come to these kids on their level and be like, hey, we're building something special here. Come on down and and we're going to hook you up with an NIL deal and you're going to get to play for, for this rebuilding effort that we think is really going places. And I think that's an exciting sales pitch that it seems like he has the charisma to, to take advantage of. So will th- this is... Kind of like I, I just said, this this weekend will be telling, I think. Um, and it's not that I'm expecting to come out of the weekend with 10 commitments. I think you may not see the fruits of the labor of this weekend for weeks or months. Um, but this weekend is massive. Don't there Make no qualms about that. You have to make the most powerful sales pitch to these kids that you can in this instant when you have them face-to-face and in person. It's, it's massive. Massive. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Nico, real quick, because we both kind of said like, okay, even if he's not a great quarterback, I don't, I don't want people to misconstrue that thinking that we're not, that we think that he's going to uh, not turn out to be a star in the SEC. I think he has all the tools to be a star. I absolutely think it's very likely he's a tough kid. He's accurate. He can run. He's not a run first quarterback. But he can run. He can escape the pocket. Uh, he's like you said, he's got a magnetic personality, and I think that right there is kind of what's going to take him over the top. The physical tools are important, but we've seen physical tools not translate to success. We saw it with Joe Milton already. Nico is a very engaging person. People follow him. I mean, we saw this week Hendon Hooker wearing sunglasses while he's uh, pra- like practicing on the field in shorts. Because and he shouts out Nico like yeah I'm going with my Nico look here like he's <laughs> he's just somebody that people want to follow it's a Joe Burrow like quality and I think that right there is like one of the most important qualities a quarterback can have like you got to have somebody that can lead that locker room lead that offense that the players believe in I mean that's that's going to help him bring players to Tennessee and it's going to help Tennessee's offense run efficiently on the field when you have a guy with that type of command over the team. Absolutely. You you never know psychologically how a kid is going to take playing in front of 100,000 people on national television in a huge with football huge, game. With huge expectations. With huge expectations. You never know how that how that's going to turn out. You've had guys that are absolute flameouts. Because it's, it's kind of one of the things that I look at, like Arch Manning, and I go, man, that kid's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's obviously an uber-talented football player. But the expectations, psychologically, it's it's why I said last week, Texas seems like the the perfect landing spot for him because you don't have that, we definitely have to win a national championship. You definitely have to be a transcendent quarterback. And if you're not, you've let everybody down. And at Texas, you could kind of go like, 
I'm part of a rebuilding effort. I want I want to be the guy that sparks the rebuild, but we're not going to win a national championship immediately. And, you know, maybe the guys around me aren't that good. So maybe that's why my numbers aren't that high. You know, you kind of have built in excuses a little bit and and you wouldn't have those unbelievable expectations that he has. Nico, I think, thankfully, is more under the radar than Arch Manning. But obviously, this NIL stuff has made him a little more prominent for yeah. sure. Um, and so you you do never know exactly how that's going to go. But out of anybody that I'm, I've seen, like you can you can tell in some recruits, the guys that are real attention seeking and, and stuff like that, you can sort of tell like, oh, that guy's going to be a problem when he comes in. He's got attitude issues. You know, you can just kind of tell. With Nico, I mean, you just look and you go like, that guy's a natural leader. And yeah, I mean, sure, like a lot of these kids, he definitely has some of that attention seeking in there. Don't we all? I do a show where I want the most people to listen as possible. What can yeah. I say? I'm yeah. the same way, you know, and, and I'm 30. So, uh, but he, he has some of that, but you can just tell, yeah, th- that charisma and the way that he is happy and like in his element to go out and do this for Tennessee. It's not like they're dragging him along being like, you're the five-star you have to do mm-hmm. this for us. He is taking it upon himself to go and do that. And it doesn't seem like he's like tired out by it or it bothers him. He's embracing it. And that's, that Jeez. is exciting, man. It's- I mean, Tennessee's had players before that kind of spearheaded a recruiting class, but they, it hasn't been a quarterback like this. And, and when, yeah. it, when it's a quarterback, I mean, you can really do some damage on the trail wide receivers, running back, skill players, offensive linemen that want to block for that guy. It's it's different than like a Trey Smith type player out there leading the charge. Like, yeah, Trey Smith, incredible player, incredible ambassador for the University of Tennessee. Uh, just somebody that really gave his all for this program. But it's a little different when he's trying to be the face of a, of a class than a quarterback being the face of a class. Yes, it's, it, it's the biggest thing that could happen – for a recruiting class, I, I think that you just having a, a someone at that position with this amount of charisma and kind of leadership ability, what legitimately, what more could you ask for in the position that Josh Heupel is in? I, I think yeah. there, there's really not much. I mm-hmm. There's not a, another thing that I would be like, throw that in too. I mean, sure, hopefully you can get maybe another a sort of backup to him. Like if you get one of these big, you know, an offensive lineman or somebody like that, a wide receiver that's going to be with him and you could sort of get them as a duo <laughs> to go out and recruit for you. Sure. Like that would be great, but that's about all that you could really ask for at this point. And I, hopefully this all translates. It's, it's just a waiting game. We just got to see what happens with this weekend. Hopefully it all goes well. I'm sure we'll be seeing the Instagram photos and tweets and everything of everybody being here. They, it seems like the recruits, they sort of love the, um, the lobby of that hotel in downtown where they all stay. It's a really cool looking lobby and they like all take pictures there. Uh, so maybe, hopefully we'll be seeing those coming out here uh, soon. It's only Tuesday uh, and I'm sure they'll start showing up what like Thursday probably. So big, big time recruiting weekend and we'll just have to see what, what comes of that. But any, before we move on to the Saban Jimbo stuff, cause it's going to, there's a lot to unpack <laughs> with that one. Anything else with Tennessee recruiting baseball, yada, yada, Zach, that you might want to cover. No, I've I've been anxiously awaiting for 39 minutes now to hear your take on Jimbo and Nick, <laughs> Nick Saban because we haven't talked a ton about it over text a little bit here and there, but I'm, I'm excited to hear uh, kind of your take on this. So let's get right into it. Yeah. The day after our podcast last week, 
really pissed me off. <laughs> Nick Saban comes out and he says in a, it's sort of, it looked like a Tennessee does that, you know, the Tennessee caravan. No, it was a, uh, it, it was an event promoting the world games. that are coming to Birmingham at some point this year. And I only okay. know that because I had to look it up to cite it for, for something I was writing. Well, whatever it was, what whatever it was, Nate Oates was also there. Nate Oates was sitting yeah. beside him, Alabama's basketball coach. And it, nonetheless, he he goes out. He's talking about recruiting and NIL and all this stuff in this event. And he says, "Oh, you look at Texas A and M. They they were the number one class. We were number two. And Texas A and M paid all of their players to come." And he says this publicly. We all know that happened. I don't think anyone questioned that. Uh, obviously, that's what happened. But having a coach actually come out and say that, and we also know that the history of all of this so far is that Saban has not been happy with it. He does not like the NIL for the reason I brought up earlier. I think it's one of the main reasons he doesn't like it is because it took away a giant advantage that he had. Now schools can go out and be like, look what we got this guy. Come here and you can have it too. And you couldn't do that before. You couldn't talk about it publicly and you couldn't show like we're setting everybody up and look at these amazing things that we're getting for these players. And I, I think he, I, I said it last week. I, I don't think he's scared, quote unquote, but he's definitely annoyed and pissed off. He doesn't like it. People are horning in on his business and kind of understandably so. So he says that. And the next morning, Jimbo Fisher has an emergency press conference where in he the middle comes out of here. May, the middle of May. <sighs> so dramatic. So Jimbo Fisher has this press conference and he says, we didn't break any rules. He words it in a certain way. <laughs> we didn't break any rules. Yeah, I'm sure you didn't. But he also he did also say, I think we didn't pay anybody or something like that, um, which is nonsense. And we all know that. But the main thing that made the headlines is that he calls Saban out. And and I I have a lot of feelings on this that, that we can cover, but he basically what, what were some of the quotes? This was a full week ago. Uh, he called him yeah, he called him a narcissist. Yes. Uh, he said that people want to act like he's God and uh well check look look at how God is handling his business. Yeah. You might find some stuff you don't want to see. He called him the self appointed czar of college football, I believe. He also said somebody should slap Nick Saban. Yes. He uh, he said, if you wonder why I've never worked for him since LSU, there's a reason for that. Uh, just really, I've never he went in. seen anything like it. He did a service for everybody in the SEC. I, I said this on the day. I think he said what every, a lot of people were thinking. <laughs> yeah. Nick Saban has needed to get aired out for a long time now. Somebody needed to to give him a little, like I said, a little slap on the wrist and go like, hey, Nick, you're not God. You don't run this place. You're not the SEC commissioner. This is not how this works. Like somebody needed to say that. And I'm glad that Jimbo did. Also, <laughs> I, it, I take it both ways. I'm so happy that he did that. And I took immense joy in Saban getting a... a actual tongue lash that was great but Jimbo is no better than Saban because what Jimbo also did in that press conference was deny that he paid these players and so he some somebody said it and I let me find it the 
I thought it was the perfect analogy, and I tweeted about it a couple of days ago. Let me see if I, I can find it. But it's basically just two guys that do the exact same thing, just calling each other out on the thing that they do. Like, that was it. And we all we all know that. Let's, yeah, here it is. This was Bruce Feldman. He said, I spoke to a former SEC assistant on this Saban Jimbo blow-up uh, in It Just Means More Land in SEC land. Quote, there has always been an honor amongst thieves mantra in the league, and those two just called each other's wives fat to a global audience. <laughs> I, I like, still believe, I 100% believe that quote was Derek Dooley because he had worked, <laughs> the assistant had worked at LSU with both of them. And yeah. I, I mean, I 100% believe it. It sounds exactly like something he'd say. He would totally say that. Absolutely, he would say that. Um, but I, my, my take on that was both of these guys are cheaters. They're both cheaters. And they're just calling each other cheaters. That's all they're doing. They're both cheaters. And then Jimbo's going out being like, I'm not a cheater. And then Saban is going and saying, I'm not a cheater. And then they're just like, they're, they're gangsters going and leaving dead horse heads in each other's beds, like in the Godfather. Like that's all this is, is that they're all just, they're both just kind of staring each other down going like you cheat more than I do. And we're just going, just shut up. Just shut up. We we all do it. And here's the thing to both of them. Cause actually Jimbo doesn't like the NIL stuff either. He didn't say that in that thing, but he doesn't like it either. He's playing the game, but he doesn't like it either. Um, because he's an old timer, just like Saban, and he's been around almost as long. And it just is, this stuff's not going away, boys. Get used to it. Because this is, I think, really a guy like Josh Heupel is in the perfect position like this. Hi- Heupel and, and Beamer and, you know, who, whoever, Pittman at Arkansas, like they're in the perfect position because they're just sitting outside. They don't have to look foolish like these dudes and be the spectacle. But they benefit from everybody just kind of looking and going like, you just need to stop complaining because this is not nothing's going to change, and and you saw the public sentiment. It was against Saban. Like the general public sentiment wasn't like Saban is right. We need to get rid of NIL or whatever. People were just happy to see him get slapped across the face, and you just go get used to it. You can do all of this screaming at each other and getting pissed off and whatever else might happen with SEC meetings coming up and SEC media days. Lord knows they're probably going to see each other. And uh, you just like Heupel's in a perfect position, just sitting outside going, you know, he, he just goes out and he only talks about the positives of NIL. He doesn't whine. He doesn't complain. He doesn't do anything. He just takes advantage of it and then goes out and he says, this is what we love about it. It's great. And he doesn't say all the negative stuff. We all know the negative stuff. We know it's not perfect. We know there needs to be a market correction. We know that there needs to be guardrails, blah, 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 blah. We've all talked about it. And I mean, I appreciate the drama and it's fun and Saban need to get needed to get called out without a doubt. It's needed to happen for years. It needed to come from the SEC commissioner, but Sankey doesn't have the balls to do that. Um, and, and he sla- he reprimanded both of them for their public comments. So, so stupid because it was just it was the mask coming off. Finally, we we got to see coaches actually talk to each other about the way that SEC football is. That's all they did is that they just kind of had it out over the reality of SEC football, and then suddenly that deserves punishment. Uh-oh, we yeah. can't have that happening. We have to reprimand these coaches. I just... People want to see that. I mean, that brings attention to your league and makes the offseason more compelling. I mean, the middle of it was May... WWE. And, yeah, I mean, it's like... A, 
It's like when NASCAR doesn't want their drivers to fight after a race. I mean, that's what people, that's like the reason people tune into those things at times. They yeah. want to see those highlights. They want to see conflict. I mean, we all, we all want to see this type of stuff. It's why social media is filled with airport fights and random things <laughs> like that. So, I, I mean, I can get kind of maybe like, hey, you know, kind of a facade of let's cool it, guys. But deep down, you you got to love that because it brings attention to your league. And the SEC prides itself on being the biggest conference, the mo- you know, the best conference in college football and the most talked about conference in college football. So that, I think Sankey should thank Jimbo. It was the talk of the town for everybody. I mean, it was a spectacle on Twitter, just everybody kind of mm-hmm. watching the press conference, live tweeting on it, and it, you know. And yeah, the promotion is phenomenal. Everybody knows, again, everybody knows the deal. <laughs> we all know what's happening. You don't have to act like they're not. That's that's just what pissed me off the most. Saban does always act like he's God. I'm glad somebody mm-hmm. finally said it. Thank God somebody said it. And it it is just the worst. And Saban is pissed off about this because people are horning in on his business. He loved he, the secrecy. He can do nothing about it. Nothing about nothing. it. Nothing. It's the way of the world at this point. It's not going back. The NCAA can come out and try to posture and, and say, oh, we're going to look into collectives and whatever. That's not going to do anything. It, they never did anything outside of these just arbitrary slaps on the wrist that they would give out to people. And they're especially not going to do anything now if they don't even get pushed out of existence, frankly, which is a whole other conversation that's sort of going on right now. Um, But we all know why Saban is pissed off. Jimbo just doesn't like that Saban is calling him out. But Jimbo Mm -hmm. is the... They are... No, they're just as bad. I would put it this way. They're two cheeks of the same butt. The worst part of this, the day or a couple of days after all of this happened, Jimbo gave an interview to a local news station in in college station or somewhere in Texas. And he had the nerve to say that only one of his incoming early enrollees had an NIL deal. That to me, that makes it even worse. Like that, that's just like such a, like a pathological liar type thing to do where you take this little shred of truth and try to turn it into something completely different to, to prove your point. Nobody believes that for a second. You've just made yourself look foolish. And Saban, I think, has said similar things that, you know, not many of his players had legitimate NIL deals. Like, okay, yeah, maybe most of them don't have legitimate NIL deals, but a lot of them are getting paid via NIL deals to come to school there. But in the same way, and, and a lot of people brought this up with Saban going out and saying this last year or whenever it was that he said this a few months ago, he came out and said that Bryce Young was getting a million dollar deal. He said yeah, he, summer, something right after NIL started. Yeah. So it was, it was before the season and yeah. And said like, Oh, you wouldn't believe the kind of money that, and, and that was a recruiting tool. A snap. It was. was a recruiting tool. Yeah. Because he, it's it's exactly what we're saying. He's playing. Saban's playing the game. Saban's doing it. Jimbo's doing it. They know they have to. They're not going to get nil'd out of existence. Out, you know, they're not going to become irrelevant just because these rules change. They're going to scrap and they're going to cheat and they're going to lie and they're going to steal, just like they always have. They're obviously they're liars. They're pathological liars. They're sociopaths. We all know this. We've all we've watched Saban for decades. At this point, we've seen Jimbo all this time. They're, they're both psychos. And 
this is not, they are going to go and do this stuff and then complain about it publicly because they're not exactly getting their way. And then, yeah, I, I love the, the honor among thieves things is so accurate because that's mm-hmm. really what it was since all of this huge money was flowing through college football, which has really been pretty modern started. I would say what probably nineties when that really kicked up and has just gotten progressively worse and worse um, throughout the years. And it just was, yeah, an unwritten code of just like, we all do it. Let's just not, don't talk about it. Don't call each other out. I mean, you did have some scenarios where like, uh, didn't didn't at one point Fulmer narked on Alabama and Alabama kind of yeah. hit Alabama back. That was the whole thing. Still bring that up. <laughs> yeah. That, and uh, and Fulmer didn't, he, he skipped uh, an SEC media days because of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, from- yeah. Because he, yes. he didn't want to get subpoenaed. I don't remember That's all. That's right. He was. He didn't want to go yeah. to the state of Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's <laughs> SEC football man. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a credit. It is the best drama. It is the best reality show that you'll ever find. I mean, it's incredible. It is. it is, and it's. I tweeted about this yesterday, where the secrecy that they demand creates these narratives that they hate. I mean, you are to blame for what happens because. <laughs> Look, our business, our business is speculating. Uh, Most media companies, that's what we do. We speculate on what will and could happen. And we do it with the NFL. We do it with the NBA at times and and all these other professional sports. But there's so much more transparency in those leagues where there's not a huge opportunity to, to really create these wild narratives like there is when it comes to college football. And it's the NCAA and these programs own fault. Like you... Yeah. You operate in secrecy to where you leave us no choice but to speculate on what is and isn't. So blame yourself. Mm-hmm. That's that's all people are ever going to do. I, I always have said that about how coaches keep practices secret. Yeah. Well, you don't show us what's happening. We're going to fill in the blank. Yep. You know, so just whatever. That's fine. But that's what we're going to do because that's the only option you've you've left us. But it is. Despite that fact, it is just the greatest drama. I mean, anybody who is not a fan of sports would even appreciate the ridiculousness of this. Because, like, my my wife just doesn't – she grew up in Ohio. It's just not like – she's kind of ambivalent about all of it. But I was telling her about all of this, and she was, she was like, <laughs> engaged and was, like, really? Like, asking me questions and stuff. And, like, it's it's entertaining even to a person that doesn't – know the full context like it's wwe as i Mm -hmm. as i said i mean it is really an entertainment product whether they want it to be or not in that scenario i mean i'm i'm certain jimbo was truly pissed off and i'm certain that saban is truly pissed off Uh, Uh, but yeah but it is it's a perfect script that nobody no screenwriter could really write this well (laughs) it's it's it is it i know a, a lot of sports fans are are fans of the show friday night lights about high school football in Texas. And this is as good as any storyline that has ever been on that show. <laughs> I mean, it is incredible and, and dramatic and the stakes are really high. I mean, these are the coaches of two of the best teams in college football or one of the best teams in college football and a guy that constantly underachieves. Hello, Jimbo. We, you know, but he did, don't but think we I, forgot. He, he did beat Alabama th- this year, and I think that's he did dri- driving a lot of this. That's the weirdest part. I mean, they only didn't they only win like nine games or something? 
But they yeah, did. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, they under they underperformed last year and then beat Alabama and Saban. Yeah. Can't, I mean, he was the first so former weird. Saban assistant to beat him, right? Wasn't yeah, because Kirby was actually the second in the national championship twice yeah. in the same year. Yeah. Um, after yeah, not having, ha- yeah, it's. I think that Saban's growing frustration that he cannot control what players do because that's been a big part of the way he runs his program. Is yeah. this real Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells type organization where he is like the the czar, the emperor of Alabama football. And he's, he's lost his grip on recruiting, on roster management, where you, you know, if somebody wants your second string running back, they can pretty much come get him. They mm-hmm. can call him up via themselves in some cases, which Lincoln Riley, I believe, has done. Or as I think the Athletic pointed out this past week, you've got play, like coaches are soliciting players from their programs to call these other players. So they're not in direct contact and say, hey, this is, this is what you can get if you come here. And that is happening a lot. And Saban absolutely can't stand it because it's allowing Tennessee, Texas A&M, Arkansas, these other programs that Alabama's traditionally not had to really worry about. It's kind of bringing them up closer to Alabama's level. I mean, there's still a big gap, but that gap is closing because of this. I saw multiple people bring up this loss of control is really one of the big reasons he opted out of the NFL and came back to Alabama's because he yeah. couldn't, they're grown men who have salaries yeah. and make their own decisions. You, you see a situation like AJ Brown with the Titans. He was, he's apparently really good friends with Jalen hurts. And supposedly they were really communicating with, with each other a lot behind the scenes. And Jalen Hurts is kind of like selling him on coming to Philly. And supposedly that was a factor in that whole thing. And now that's a thing in college football where like you said there, they're they're sort of communicating with players on the team and then getting that player to communicate with the player they want, however they have to do it to do this workaround. And these things are happening now. And Saban is having to contend with essentially salaries, player, a, a true pay-for-play where it's actually above board and people know about it. And then the the tampering of the of the transfer portal. And you can think whatever you want. I've said that the tampering in the transfer portal is truly a problem. I, I think mm-hmm. you should be able to transfer wherever you want, but there needs to be some amount of rules there that are genuinely enforced. And then there, there probably does eventually need to be some sort of like salary cap situation with, with money. But you saw it. there were rules already on paying players and nobody abided by them. So, you know, good luck with that. But uh, it, it's still, I, I can even agree to a certain extent like that and still, you know, look at the situation and say this is good in in the long run for college football. Almost no matter how it goes, this is what needed to happen. These players were generating so much money; they deserve a chunk of it. Uh, but Saban, it's it's these elements. He was already paying players. We all knew that. But it is these other elements of this loss of control. That's the perfect thing that you're hitting on there. He is losing control, and that is his total mo. He's, he's the type of guy that can bring why he's so good. He can bring these five-star players in and he essentially like breaks them. He, where he demands so much respect that even these guys that would maybe go to another school and try to big time everybody, you know, they might come in be like an attitude problem. Oh, I'm five-star. I'm not going to work that hard. Saban goes, uh, uh-uh. no, you're not doing that. You're at Alabama. That's not how we do that here. And, and cause it's Nick Saban those players respect that 
It's not like he's some second year coach at some school. Like he's the guy and he demands that respect. And it's how he gets this incredible play out of all these guys constantly. Um, I mean, it's why he's one of the best. And I, I think that losing the grip on that, where he just doesn't have that empiric control over these dudes. And it's to be totally honest, it's good for college football. That's the thing. I don't care what you think about NIL Saban losing his iron grip on the whole thing is excellent for college football. The game needs more parity. This talent needs to be more spread out. Uh, and and even, even if the talent goes away to the Big Ten or the Big 12 or wherever, that is good. I don't care if Texas gets super good. The fact that it is not just Alabama is good. You need that talent to go elsewhere to spread the wealth and to actually kind of get that concept of rising tides lift all ships like more schools being good is good the playoff will be more compelling you won't just have clemson and alabama and georgia playing in the national championship every single year that has to stop at some point it hurts the game of college football um and and sorry to say ben you can cry all you want but this is the way of the future what i am hoping that it does this is uh, please i'm praying Please, Lord, let this hearken the retirement of Nick Saban. Uh, it's it, it's either going to be he's going to become the best guy at NIL and crush everybody still or bring his retirement a little sooner than it probably was going to be. So hopefully it's that second one. <laughs> That's, yeah, that is somebody, my prayer. <laughs> somebody actually, uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Filmer, somebody at The Athletic wrote the, uh, yesterday that a source close to Mitch Saban speculated to the athletic that he could retire after he wins his next championship. Like he's not going to go out without another right. championship because everybody let him world. win this year. Let him win. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need, it's okay. We'll come back next year. But <laughs> if, if he doesn't retire, uh, when, when it comes to the NIL stuff and you talked about, you know, maybe he becomes the best at NIL. I think there's one thing that Tennessee fans I know I know there's a lot of Tennessee fans especially some of the older fans that don't really like this new world of players getting paid because it's just it's different it's not what they're used to it's not how they it's not college football as they know it and they I I disagree with them but I can understand where they're coming from just because it's 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 hard when you're used to something a certain way and one big issue is the roster management and something that Saban talked about to ESPN's Chris Lowe is that when you have a player making more than their position coach, how do you coach that player when there's an argument? And and I can see that being a major issue. But part of the issue there is the the atmosphere at Alabama, which you were talking about, the, the way that the, the control that Saban has over these players. It's, it's a dictatorship. It's very buttoned up. It's, it's, it's what Pruitt tried to do at Tennessee, and it didn't work. But now the coach that Tennessee has, the culture that Josh Heupel's created, is not that type of culture. Yes, you're expected to do your work. You're expected to, to practice hard, do your job, work hard, give everything you got. I mean, it's still football at the end of the day. But he's also created this atmosphere where players are having fun. They enjoy it. They, it's not a military-like atmosphere like players described, um, the, the atmosphere under Jeremy Pruitt. So I think Heupel is much more he's better equipped to handle this new world than Nick Saban is. And that is the one takeaway I think Tennessee fans should have. Absolutely. 
it should obviously bear itself out after this recruiting cycle, this upcoming season. You should really start seeing the fruits of that kind of come together. And you just have to hope that it really does fall into place like that. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be perfect, like Heupel's going to get everybody he wants and that it's just going to be this great thing. That's not the way anything ever goes. Life's not fair like that. But it still is true that you were in such a great position for the future of college football. It seems like you kind of made the right hire for a guy who fits, whose culture fits the way the college football is going. It is, it's perfect for that progression. Again, kind of goes back to Danny White being that visionary where you see a guy who's not just looking at the past of a coach, but looking at how they might adapt to the future and going forward and where, where all this, seeing where this stuff might be going, looking at the potential of these collectives and things like that. Like we, <laughs> I think we said it last week, like who came up with that whole collective thing? Cause it's, it's genius. I don't, it was, it's basically just this kind of workaround to everything that gives these schools this outlet to, to funnel all of this NIL work through. And you know, it, it's, it essentially skirts the rules. The NCAA people in the NCAA have come out and publicly said they didn't expect the collective stuff, but Tennessee was on top of that. They were right there. And I, again, was it Danny white, whoever spearheaded that congratulations to all of them because it's obviously working so far. Um, and you, you may have just made like the right hire at, at the right time, but obviously that is contingent on getting these dudes in the door. These players that are coming this weekend for this giant recruiting uh, visit, you gotta make your case and get some of them here. Cause that's the only way things get transformed. Heibel can be as good of a coach as he wants to be. Saban could be as good of a coach as he wants to be, but if the talent on the field is not adequate, Saban would still lose games. And Hypo will certainly, you know, lose lose games all the same if you don't have that talent. So you got to get that talent here. It's absolutely imperative. I mean, that, that's the whole thing. You can you saw it with Butch Jones. You could be a, a dump head coach and win nine games if you got good players. I mean, he had yeah. an SEC championship level team that he totally squandered, but still almost had a ten win season. <laughs> so uh, it it it's it's exciting. But it's also, it makes me nervous. It's a waiting game. I go like, I, I want to see. I want to see what's going to happen. Who's going to commit? What is this roster going to look like? How how are the results actually going to be on the field? I just, I got to actually have it in front of me first before I get too hyped up on it. Even if my analysis is that things are going very well. Yeah, no doubt. It's all about talent. We see that with, with Georgia. Kirby Smart is not uh, changing the world of coaching. He's not a visionary the Georgia's offense is very basic. They don't do anything special. They're just running the ball. They're just beating you with bigger guys on the offensive line and faster running backs, faster players. That's how they're winning games. It, the best of the best when it comes to coaches, are they're all calling the same place. I mean, Tennessee runs a unique offense, but they're not the only program that runs that offense. Baylor used to run it. Arkansas runs similar stuff with Kendall Bryles. Ole Miss runs similar stuff. A lot of programs do, and we're seeing it creep into Alabama's playbook and some others. It, it comes down to the talent on the field, and if Josh Heupel closes that gap, 
uh, he's he's going to win some big games, I think. I absolutely think so. But it just has – I have to see it to believe it. That's that's the only thing. After oh, you, Yeah, been, after the last 15 years. <laughs> how, how can you not? After you've been beaten over the head with what has happened with this program – you you take really good things happening with a grain of salt still. I wish we didn't. That sucks. We've even going to take a while. It is. It's not just going to be an overnight like like I'm just going to believe everything's going to go correctly because it. We all know that that's just. It's not that easy. I mean, look, it took baseball like four or five years to get to this yeah. point, and, and and we didn't really focus on. Tony Vitello's early tenure because it just, you know, it, it, it wasn't special like this is. It doesn't happen overnight. And nobody should expect Josh Heupel to go to a 12-game-a-year winning coach overnight. No. And I'm certainly I'm not expecting that. I mean, this, this season, the things you want to see, eight, nine wins and moving forward. Eight, nine wins in a great recruiting class. That's, that's sort of the yes. meet, meet those goals at a minimum. Everything above that's kind of gravy. We'll we'll be really happy, um, and and then I think that that year, year three, year four is when it starts getting like if if you do yeah. get these players, if you get the players in the four stars and the five stars, year three, year four is where you're going to start going like all right, let's see what can be done with this talent. You got you know almost an entire recruiting cycle under your belt, and this team is almost entirely yours. That's that's when the expectations kind of get ratcheted up. But for, for right now, it just it just makes me nervous that things are going so well. <laughs> Where I we we even had I had some uh, some comment on YouTube, somebody going like uh, they they said they called us cowards because they said that we always go. Let's not forget that this is Tennessee and things can go wrong. How? Tell me this to whoever that was. How do you forget? How do you? Because I did this. For 15 years, and it's beaten me over the head to to the point where I was at the SEC basketball tournament, Tennessee in the championship games up by 20 in the championship game. And I'm sitting in my seat going, ah, ah, please run the clock down. This it's not over yet. Like I'm we're so like it's so ingrained to me that I was literally like this thing is not over till it's over. And we were up by 20 or whatever it was, 15. And clearly in like the final four minutes and I was still nervous, just being like, could it all fall apart? I don't know. Like how teach me, do I need to go to a therapist? Like, what do I need to do? (laughs) Cause it is just always until things go correctly for an extended period of time. I don't know that I'll be able to ever get that uh, out, out of my head. And God forbid that this thing turns south to Josh Heupel, man, that'll be, If if it goes yeah. this good and then doesn't work, man, that's going to be so tough to swallow. Oh, yeah. I mean, but I, really, don't speak it into existence. That's, it was really that's tough in 2016 when Tennessee was five and zero. Oh, they win that game against Georgia that in years past would have just been a heartbreaking loss that we had seen tons of times. I mean, we've seen Tyler Bray fumble against Georgia. We saw Pitt Howard fumble against Georgia, and they finally. Win a game that they probably shouldn't have won, that they should have lost in the final moments. It's like, okay, this team's in the top 10. They're 5-0. and They've beaten two of the hardest teams on their schedule in Florida and Georgia. They can beat Texas A&M. Yeah, they might lose to Alabama, but they're going to win the SEC East. They're going to have a shot in the SEC championship game, and this team has a chance to make the playoff. 
and then it just from that moment it just cratered you, i mean it was like lost a, to vanderbilt lost to vanderbilt you lost to south carolina games you absolutely oh. should not have lost you should have won that texas a&m game and then you you don't win the sec east you don't you don't get to the sugar bowl in 2017 goes about as bad as any season could you know your first eight loss season in program history you almost lose to umass after that i think a lot of fans were just broken like i'm not gonna believe again until i see it there's no reason it's it's that element it's it's why at the florida game every single year my prediction never changes it is a loss until it is not my prediction will my prediction will always be a loss and you know how many times i've been correct all of them except 2016 (laughs) you know i'm sorry but that's that's the way that this stuff has gone. So to that person, whoever it was, are we cowards? I don't know. You decide. But how I'll do you say, how hope, do you forget? Hope, teach me. Teach me your ways. How do you forget and, and become nothing but optimistic? Because yeah, that's I oh yeah. It's gonna take a while. It just is. It's it's like with, with basketball. I love the great regular seasons that Rick Barnes has had, but how do you at this point get out of your head the coming up short that he's done in the NCAA tournament? How do you forget that? He's done it repeatedly over and over again so far. And how how do you get that? Yeah, the SEC tournament's great. Glad he got that monkey off his back. I can't believe that that happened. That was incredible. And I I celebrated it more as much as I could. But you still, you go into that NCAA tournament, and I still think, yeah, we won the SEC tournament. But Rick's history in the NCAA tournament's not great. And it's not like I could just forget that and go like, we're definitely going to make a Final Four. Ah, what, where in history does it say that? Where in history does it say that all this is going to go great for Tennessee? <laughs> you know, I like that's that's it. I don't I don't mean to drag us down. Things are going excellently with Josh Heupel. And that's the point of this conversation. It's going great. And I love it. And I love being able to talk about the positive stuff every week. It's so much better than talking about these nightmares that we've had in the past. But it's still how do you not think about that? Te- teach me. I, I'll try I, to be that person, but I just can't be right now. I think this upcoming season's a perfect example of like the Florida game. Like it's a game that Tennessee should win. Billy Napier yep. is a new SEC head coach and he had success at Louisiana, but none of that matters when you're joining you're making that jump to the SEC. We've seen plenty of coaches have success at that level and fail. That's a game that Tennessee absolutely should win. And I look at the schedule and I want to mark it down as a win. I want to so badly, but it is, I'm, I'm with you. It's like nearly impossible to assume that Tennessee's going to win that game. If that was any other name in front of that on the schedule, like South Carolina probably should be a better team than Florida this year based on the season they had last year. They're seven and six year under Beamer. Like they, they lost some pretty tough games, but they, they improved down the stretch and I, th- I think he'll do decent there. I looked at the South Carolina game. I'm like, that's, that's a win. I looked at the Kentucky game. Kentucky's certainly better than Florida. I'm like, that's a win. But I looked at that Florida game. I'm like, I just, I just don't know. Like, I don't know ex- about it. In my heart, I don't expect Tennessee to win it, even though they should. In Neyland Stadium, you yeah. have the better team. But just what am I? History, history speaks for itself. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's so been some not like some really not good Florida teams that have beat Tennessee, like the Will Muschamp's last team. Oh my gosh, uh, dude! Jim McElwain's I, last team. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I was at both. I was at the nine. Was it nine six? 
or t- a 10-9. It's a 10-9 game. Yeah, I was at that I was game. At that game. I, I was covered it, and I could not. It was unfathomable that Tennessee was so much better than that Florida team and lost that game. The ten, so the ten nine game. I was also at the the two thousand twelve game, college game yeah. day. Had been there. Rough. We went to that college was... game day. Tennessee leads at the half, I believe, by like ten. Like had like a good lead. At oh the yeah, half. I was and believing. I was I was there as well. It was an lost incredible that game by atmosphere. double digits. Lost by double yeah. digits. I like Sal Sinceri game is how I feel about that one. That's that's the type of stuff that makes me go to the to the people that leave comments like that. Like you can't say that about Tennessee anymore. No, I can. I can. The 2017 game. Were you there? Where did you see this stuff? This stuff is ridiculous. Like how? <laughs> that's what I don't get. Like were were you not also there? I believe it. You're a Tennessee fan now. Enough of a Tennessee fan to be listening to a show like this. Did you not also experience that with me? <laughs> it's I I I love people like that because I wish I could be that person. It just it's I I don't know. Am I neurotic? Is it just I know I am. I definitely am. <laughs> but uh maybe it is. It just is uh that battered ball syndrome, right? I mean, I look, I, I like the optimism. Uh, I think it's great. And 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 I know that on Friday. The Friday before Tennessee plays Florida, I will be as hype as anyone, and I will be feeling like, "Hey, Tennessee's going to win this game." Like I'm going to feel a 40 it point in win. the moment. Yeah, in the moment. I mean, we all do it. Like <laughs> you can talk yourself into beating Alabama nearly every single year. Like if everything goes just right. Like we've seen crazy things happen before, but when you look at it in May, in June, in July, before the season starts, and you're 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 rational about it you're right like all these past losses creep in and the way that tennessee's lost these games the, the way uh felipe yeah. franks was i believe the the pass in 2017 that just heartbreaking i mean 2015 was a close game you all these games were just heartbreaking losses that tennessee should have won and it's like it's because it's florida like if that's any other team tennessee wins those games it's just i hope that this team I hope Josh Heupel, I hope these coaches do not have this in their head about Florida because I think that's been part of it. Like there's so much pressure on Tennessee to beat Florida and they just can't close it out because they feel that pressure. Hopefully that's not there uh, under this new staff, but it's going to be hard to eliminate that from the program. What was always crazy with that particular game that almost felt supernatural? Like I, I would cover the the interviews in the week leading up and i you know you ask the players and you go like here's the history with tennessee in this game like do you feel any of that and almost across the board the players would go like nah you know like they didn't like they didn't even grow up tennessee fans a lot of them yeah and they just go like no it's just another game on schedule and i believe them i believe that they absolutely thought that like it is just another game on the schedule to them and just across the board you just could like, it's like something just came, comes over Tennessee. Like Florida has like a curse, like a voodoo curse on Tennessee that just when the two teams meet, it doesn't matter if Tennessee has an NFL team out there, they're going to play a bad game against Florida and, and just be horrific. It Whatever it was, like, I believe that those players didn't have that, that kind of neuroses about the Florida game, but, but it still bit you somehow. Whatever it was outside of 2016, I, I don't know how Dobbs did it. He he broke that that curse. Him and Jennings, it, yeah, yeah. But I I do always go back to with this thing. And somebody uh, 
somebody left a YouTube comment this week that I thought was really, really good. It was on, um, it was on the clip of our uh, talking about the Alabama comments. Alabama fans found one of our videos where we were talking about Alabama fans. They were pissed off at us and we were commenting on that last week. And somebody left a comment on that video and they said, you know, I never thought that Tennessee would regularly beat Kentucky. And then Rick got all these players and now we beat Kentucky regularly. We have this winning record against Kentucky with Rick Barnes as coach. And it is true. You go back then and it seemed impossible to win in Rupp Arena. And Rick's done it four times now during his time at Tennessee, three or four times. Mm-hmm. And it it's doesn't not even seem a big deal when a, it happens now. Yeah. And, and so it's not like outside of the realm of possibility. And if you can just break through that, like I'm, I'm confident going into Kentucky games now. Like it was, I, if you go back and listen to the SEC championship week, you, you know, this pom-pom right here came from a Kentucky fan throwing it at me because I was talking, talking my ish at the SEC basketball tournament. Like I'm confident enough to be like <laughs> jawing at a Kentucky fan at the SEC tournament. You get, you get a few of these, a few good years under your belt. It won't take that long to shake all of this off me, but I got to have some evidence like we have gone, it's a full 15 years at this point where it's just been this, it's like a curse. It feels like a curse, right? And so just give me a few years, a few great recruiting classes that turn into a great football team that actually wins something on a big, you know, a big stage. And, and I'm, that can be lifted. It didn't take very long with basketball, but I just at least have to see it once. I mean, come on now. Before I before I just become the full optimist, I at least to me I I just have to see with my own two eyes. I guess is what it really yeah. comes down to. But for sure, I mean the one thing that gives me confidence is that I feel like Danny White is just such a competent AD that he's going to find a way to make this Tennessee football program and the rest of the athletics just among the best in the nation. And that's his goal. That's what he wants. He's deeply passionate about it. He's doing and I feel it. like he's pre- he's pressing all the right buttons, and it starts with leadership. I mean, you hear these cliche comments every time a coach is hired, where uh, the alignment between the athletic department and the coaching, the programs, the 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 teams, and stuff like that's so important. That's what drew me here. And I know that sounds like a cliche answer that you hear, but I think that's extremely important because look, it was dysfunctional. I mean, Dave Hart, Mike Hamilton, John Curry. Uh, Philip Fomer, they 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 things weren't aligned. They, they weren't great athletic directors. You see some of the stuff that's going on at Auburn with Brian Harson. It's going to kill that program because you've got boosters involved trying to run things, and you need boosters. You have to have boosters to have a successful program, especially with NIL stuff. And they they want to have their say, which I understand. It's it's their money, but if you got a guy like Danny White that can kind of balance that and align everyone with the same vision, it, it really helps things run smoother. And and I think it'll be a big reason why Tennessee has success under Danny White and, and Josh Heupel. I, I saw this this week. I, I'm sure you probably did too. Somebody put together SEC schools ranked by average conference win percentage across all sports in 2022. Tennessee is number one with 67% winning percentage in conference in sec i believe i even saw someone also say tennessee had a winning record in conference in every major sport uh this year which is a true feat and and legitimately 
it speaks to everything that you were just saying there. It just is the, the athletic department is healthy at the moment. And it's, that's so, so nice to see. And, and at this point, really the, the battered ball syndrome is kind of isolated to football. Like we've kind of, kind of gotten over the hump with basketball outside of the NCAA tournament. Um, Lady Vols are getting back. Hopefully that continues to build. Kelly's putting together a great team. Um, you know, so- softball might be having, that's something that we didn't talk about. The weeklies are under fire. They lost again in the NCAA tournament. Um, but that's kind of another, regardless, they had one of the best years in the, in the SEC this season out of any team. So um, they were number one seed in the SEC tournament. So, um, but regardless, just like everything in a general sense, even with some situations like that with the weeklies where, you know, they just, they may be overstaying their welcome potentially. I don't know. It's a different conversation, but even with situations like that, things are going really, really well. And there's no, no denying that. And so just give me, give me these great seasons of football and we'll never talk about this again. Why would I talk about it? Cause then good stuff, <laughs> the good stuff happened. I didn't have to be worried about it all the time. <laughs> That's all I ask is just, you know, win an SEC championship, win a national championship, and then we're good, right? <laughs> Doesn't even matter. Beat every team on your oh. schedule. I will say no it's, it's a lot more it's a lot more fun to be in this situation talking about it, you know, expecting something to go wrong when things are going so well than instead of like we have at times on this podcast been talking about things going terribly and how Tennessee can fix it. I'd rather be on this side of things where exactly. we can be pleasantly surprised when it doesn't go wrong. That's that's it right there. There's your optimistic note. You'd yeah, rather no. be in this position than having the stuff be actually happening. Yeah. There you go. Plenty of positivity on this episode. I mean, te- technically speaking, I guess we we talked about negativity, but there isn't actually negative stuff going on. Yeah. So there. We're just guarded when it comes to Tennessee. Exactly. Been through a lot. We all have. Ha- Yes, but but to that person that left that comment, teach me your ways. I want to be the yes. optimist. Yes. I would like to know. Maybe but they're secretly said, a therapist or something. <laughs> we, we all need it. Yeah. Come on down. I'm I'm open to it. Uh Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan. This has been the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast at Charlie underscore Burris at Zach TNT at A to Z Sports Twitter, Instagram, A to Z Sports.com for everything that Zach writes. The A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed, rate, review, and subscribe. And A to Z Sports on YouTube. Search it up on the YouTube. See the video. See the clip. See all the stuff that we post on there. And outside of that, I think that is all of the administrative uh, stuff I got to cover. For another week, this is another great episode. Almost 90 minutes we we went on this one. But, hey, I said at the beginning, tons and tons of stuff to talk about. And uh, with all that said, thanks again for tuning in. And we'll talk to you all next week. See you guys later. Stand by you.